0: This is a recording of If Ye Will Hearken, Lehi's rhetorical wordplay on Ishmael in 2 Nephi one twenty-eight and 29, and its implications, by Matthew L. Bowen, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, volume 25, 2017, pages 1 through 32, read by Parker Jackson. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. If Ye Will Hearken, Lehi's rhetorical wordplay on Ishmael in 2 Nephi one and 28-29 and its implications by Matthew L. Bowen. Abstract Nephi's preservation of the conditional first blessing that Lehi bestowed upon his elder sons and the sons of Ishmael contains a dramatic wordplay on the name Ishmael in 2 Nephi one twenty-eight and 29. The name Ishmael, meaning, may El hear him, may El hearken, or El has hearkened, derives from the Semitic and later Hebrew verb Shema meaning to hear, hearken, or obey. Lehi's rhetorical wordplay juxtaposes the name Ishmael with a clustering of the verbs obey and hearken, both usually represented in Hebrew by the verb shema. Lehi's blessing is predicated on his sons and the sons of Ishmael's hearkening to Nephi. Conversely, failure to hearken would precipitate withdrawal of the first blessing. Accordingly, when Nephi was forced to flee from Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael, Lehi's first blessing was activated for Nephi and all those who hearkened to his spiritual leadership, including members of Ishmael's family, while it was withdrawn from Laman, Lemuel, the sons of Ishmael, and those who sympathized with them, inasmuch as they would not hearken unto Nephi. See 2 Nephi chapter 5, verses 6 and 20. Centuries later, when Ammon and his brothers convert many Lamanites to the truth, Mormon revisits Lehi's conditional blessing and the issue of hearkening in terms of Ishmael and the receptivity of the Ishmaelites. Many Ishmaelite Lamanites hear or hearken to Ammon at all, activating Lehi's first blessing, while many others, including the ex Nephite Amalekites and Amlicites, do not, thus activating or reactivating. Lehi's Curse. The prophet Lehi's importance as a patriarch over the clan that became the broader Lamanite and Nephite societies requires little comment. Although Ishmael's role as patriarch and ancestor over the clan was scarcely less important in many respects, it is often forgotten or underemphasized. Nephi records that, quote, Ishmael died and was buried at the place which was called Nahum, and that his family, and in particular his daughters, did mourn exceedingly. From this point onward, Ishmael himself no longer remains an active part of Nephi's narrative. However, by virtue of his name and by virtue of his ancestral role, he retains a formidable background narrative presence in Nephi's small plates record, as well as in the post-King Benjamin period of Lehite history preserved in Mormon's abridged record. Nephi, who married one of Ishmael's daughters, perhaps the very one who interceded on his behalf with her brothers, never gives the personal name of any member of Ishmael's family. He always refers to them as the sons of Ishmael or daughters of Ishmael. Nephi does not even give the name of the daughter of Ishmael who became his wife. For Nephi's purposes on the small plates, the filial relationship between Ishmael and his children was a sufficiently significant descriptor for each individual. The clearest intersection of the name Ishmael, which in Hebrew denotes "may El or God, hearken, occurs in Lehi's admonition to Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and the sons of Ishmael in 2 Nephi 1, verses 28 and 29, in which Lehi exhorts them to hearken unto Nephi's voice, promising them his, Lehi's, first blessing if they do hearken to Nephi and warning them that the first blessing will be Nephi's if they fail to hearken. In this paper, I propose that the intersection of the name Ishmael and a verb rendered hearken suggests a deliberate wordplay on, or play on the meaning of, the name Ishmael. I will further suggest that Lehi intended this wordplay, spoken in Hebrew and reported by Nephi on his small plates, to garner the attention of Ishmael's sons and daughters. Lehi had foreseen the almost inevitable refusal of Laman and Lemuel to hearken to his own and Nephi's spiritual direction, see 1 Nephi chapter 8. But at least one of the sons of Ishmael and one of the daughters, not to mention Ishmael's wife, had previously supported Nephi, even sticking their necks out for him, so to speak, see 1 Nephi chapter 7 verse 19. I will attempt to show how Lehi's wordplay on Ishmael in 2 Nephi one twenty-eight through 28-29 works as part of a rhetorical attempt to win support for Nephi among Ishmael's family. Moreover, all this appears to have implications for Mormon's telling of the Lamanite conversion narratives in his abridged Book of Alma and the conversion of the Lamanite royal family who lived in the land of Ishmael. Mormon represents Ammon in a literary way as Nephi. In so doing, Mormon invokes the terms hear and hearken, represented in Hebrew by the verb shema, that recalls Lehi's admonition in 2 Nephi 1, 28 and 29. In this admonition, Lehi predicated his promised first blessing on hearkening to Nephi. The Ishmaelite Lamanites in the land of Ishmael hearkened to Ammon's spiritual guidance and leadership in the same way that Lehi had hoped Laman and Lemuel would hearken to Nephi's spiritual guidance and leadership. Conversely, the ex-Nephite Amalekites and Amlicites, who rejected the preaching of Ammon's brother Aaron and the Lamanites who rejected the preaching of Ammon's other brothers, worsened their spiritual disinheritance. If ye Will Not Hearken A Methodological Note Biblical Hebrew gives us a pretty good idea of what the phrases "if you will hearken" and "if you will not hearken" would have looked like in the language of Lehi, Nephi, Ishmael, and their families. Forms of these phrases are attested in Genesis thirty-four seventeen, Leviticus twenty-six fourteen, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, Jeremiah seventeen twenty-four, Jeremiah seventeen twenty-seven, Jeremiah twenty-six four and Ezekiel 20.39. Without exception, the idiom used in these legal and prophetic texts employs the verb shema, whence the name Ishmael derives. Throughout this article, I will work on the assumption that Hebrew was the everyday language that Lehi, Ishmael, and their families used, however Nephi chose to represent that language on his small plates. In other words, the Hebraistic word play in 2 Nephi one twenty-eight and 29, and elsewhere, works on the level of what Nephi reports his father Lehi to have spoken. Lehi almost certainly would have used conditional expressions identical or close to im tishmuu elai and im lo tishma'u elai, both of which have strong lexical and aural resonances with the name Ishmael. The name Ishmael Ishmael is a Semitic and Hebrew name meaning may El, God, hearken, or El, God, has heard. In addition to being the name of the son of Abraham and Hagar, and the eponymous name of his tribal descendants, Ishmael is further attested in the Bible as the name of a prince of Davidic descent who assassinated Gedaliah the Babylonian appointed governor of Judah after the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of its inhabitants to Babylon. See 2 Kings 25-25. Ishmael is attested abundantly in Hebrew seal inscriptions. The books of Ezra and Chronicles mention other Israelites and Judahites named Ishmael. Beyond Nephi's mentions of his father-in-law Ishmael and the use of the name Ishmael as both a toponym and the ethnonym of the family patriarch's descendants, Ishmael is attested at least once as a later Nephite personal name belonging to one of Amulek's ancestors See Alma 10. 2. Semites who bestowed this name upon their children would have done so in the hope that their deity would hear the child so named. Perhaps too, the name was given in gratitude that God had already heard prayers for and on behalf of the child so named especially in the granting of the child. The biblical cycle that first introduces the name Ishmael places repeated emphasis on its derivation from and connection with the verb Shema, meaning to hear or hearken via wordplay. The Lord hath heard thy affliction. Biblical wordplay on the name Ishmael. The first biblical wordplay on the name Ishmael occurs at the beginning of the pericope that describes his mother's relationship with Abraham and Ishmael's subsequent birth. Ishmael's advent into the narrative history is anticipated already when Sarah gives her handmaid Hagar to Abraham as a wife of lesser status for the purpose of childbearing. Now Sarai Abram's wife bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Genesis sixteen one 1-2 As Moshe Garciel has noted, the verb form waishma anticipates and alludes to the name Ishmael. At the moment of Hagar's introduction to the narrative and Sarai's despairing of having a child herself, the text already anticipates the advent of Ishmael in the phrase, and Abraham hearkened. The narrative's use of the Hebrew verb shama presages the giving of the name Ishmael. This verb will serve as a light word, or a lead word, or leading term, throughout the Abraham-Ishmael-Isaac cycle. Subsequently, Hagar conceives, and there is an almost immediate falling out between her and Sarah on account of the former despising the latter. Thus, when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face into the wilderness. The angel of the Lord finds her there and instructs her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. The angel of the Lord, with divinely invested authority, promises to multiply her seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude, and then instructs her regarding the birth of her son, which constitutes a narrative etiology for the name Ishmael. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Genesis 16, verses 11 and 12. See also the preceding verses, starting with verse 4. What was an implicit etiological wordplay in verse 2 now becomes explicit. The angel offers a basis for her son's naming. He will be Ishmael, meaning, may El hear. Or El has heard, because the Lord, Yahweh, has heard his mother in her affliction. Ishmael's name, like his brother Isaac's subsequently, is divinely appointed, one might say in Latter day Saint terminology, foreordained. The words, thou shalt call his name, are both predictive and prescriptive. We see other examples of this phenomenon in the Old Testament and elsewhere in Scripture. In addition to Ishmael and Isaac, we have the names of Hosea's and Isaiah's children, John the Baptist, Jesus, and Joseph Smith, among others. Later in the narrative, when the Lord promises Abraham his son Isaac and prescribes the latter's naming, we find that promise and prescription interlocked with wordplay on the name Ishmael. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Genesis seventeen, seventeen 17-20 The form of tz'ak here, wa'itzhak, anticipates the imminent fulfillment of the Lord's promise to Abraham concerning his having a son through Sarah. See Genesis 17, verse 16. Abraham's laughing or rejoicing is followed by his interjection of Ishmael's name to which the Lord responds by commanding or foretelling Isaac's birth and his naming as a form of tza'ak. It is at this point that the Lord speaks Ishmael's name and plays on in terms of the verb shema. This is not the only occasion that we find this kind of interlocking, interwoven wordplay on the names of these two important sons. The occasion of Isaac's birth is marked by etiological wordplay on the name Isaac, as well as an echo of the name Ishmael, his elder son. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Genesis twenty one five and six. Garcial observes that this pairing of terms from the two roots of Shema and Tsaak creates an implied confrontation between the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. That confrontation becomes a reality in the verses that follow, a confrontation described in terms of the verb tsa'ach, whence the name Isaac is described. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman Shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis 21, verses 9 through 12. Regarding this passage, Robert Alter has noted. That mocking laughter would surely suffice to trigger outrage. He further states given the fact that she is concerned lest Ishmael encroach on her son's inheritance, and given the inscription of her son's name in this crucial verb, we may also be invited to construe it as Isaacing it, that is, Sarah sees Ishmael presuming to play the role of Isaac, child of laughter, the legitimate heir. Ironically, the verb shema becomes the focal point of divine approval for Hagar's expulsion from the household. However, that same verb continues to demonstrate God's concern and providence for Hagar and Ishmael. In the text that follows, the narrator places double emphasis on the fact that God has heard Ishmael. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not. For God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Genesis 21.17 Robert Alter observes that in the wordplay here on Ishmael, the ghost of its etymology, God will hear, hovers at the center of the story. Ishmaelites and Brothers Hearkening Mose Garciel points to some additional instances of wordplay on the name Ishmael that may have relevance to what we find in the Book of Mormon. Genesis 28, 8, and 9, records that Jacob obeyed or hearkened to his parents in going to members of their extended family in Padan Aram to seek a wife. Esau, who had previously married Canaanites, takes additional wives from descendants of Ishmael, also extended family, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, Then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. Genesis 28, 7-9. The wordplay on Ishmael, in terms of Shema, emphasizes the narrator's view that Jacob conducted himself worthy of the birthright and birthright blessing that Rebekah had helped him orchestrate to receive while Esau conversely failed to honor and obey his parents by marrying Canaanite women. His later intermarrying with Ishmael's descendants constituted an attempt at making amends for this disobedience. The narrator's use of the phrase, the daughter of Ishmael, also deserves special notice. The only other scriptural formulations of this phrase are found in the Book of Mormon. Lehi's sons and Zoram marry the daughters of Ishmael and the eldest daughter of Ishmael, respectively. Later on in the Joseph cycle, when Joseph's brothers conspire against him, they decide to sell him to the Ishmaelites, who were relatives. Garcial notes the literary treatment of the name Ishmael in terms of Shema. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content, which can also be translated as his brothers hearkened or his brothers listened. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-seven. Joseph, the favored brother who will eventually receive the birthright, is sold into Egypt by his disfavored brothers through the medium of his Midianite and Ishmaelite kin. See Genesis 37, verses 28 through 36, and chapter 39, verse 1. The narrator's interconnection of Ishmael, Esau, and the other sons of Jacob, except for Joseph, pertains to the ongoing theme or pattern of older sons not receiving the birthright blessing. This is the very issue that Lehi raises in 2 Nephi one twenty-seven through 27-29, as recorded by Nephi. It should not surprise us that Nephi, upon whom Lehi's first blessing eventually rests, was careful to explain exactly why he received that blessing and not his older brothers. The name Ishmael emerges as a key piece of that explanation, willing to hearken Ishmael and his family, several earlier scenes in Nephi's record lay the groundwork for Lehi's declaration in second Nephi one twenty seven through twenty nine The first book of Mormon attestation of the name Ishmael occurs in first Nephi seven two when Lehi receives a revelation from the Lord that his sons are to return to Jerusalem and persuade Ishmael's family to join them in their journey. Laman and Lemuel's characteristic murmuring and complaining regarding their father's requests is noticeably absent on this occasion. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded him that I, Nephi, and my brethren, should again return into the land of Jerusalem and bring down Ishmael and his family into the wilderness. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did again with my brethren go forth into the wilderness to go up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that we went up unto the house of Ishmael, and we did gain favor in the sight of Ishmael, insomuch that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. And it came to pass that the Lord did soften the heart of Ishmael, and also his whole household, insomuch that they took their journey with us down into the wilderness to the tent of our father. First Nephi 7. 2 through 5. Nephi himself implicitly hearkens to the Lord's commandment when he goes forth into the wilderness with his brothers to bring down Ishmael and his family into the wilderness. One can well envision that this constituted one of the most difficult sales pitches of all time to get Ishmael and his entire household to leave their homes and lives in Jerusalem on a journey whose conclusion in an unknown land was far from certain. Nephi does not tell us exactly what they said in making their pitch only that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. Presumably, that sales pitch included prophecies about the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and Babylonian captivity. In any case, Ishmael and his family implicitly hearken to the Lord's commandment when they take their journey into the wilderness to join Lehi's family. Moreover, Nephi emphasizes the we pronoun here. In other words, Nephi would not have been the only one who spoke on this occasion laman and lemuel's voices and perhaps sam's voice too constituted an essential part of the brothers attempt to persuade ishmael and his household miraculously the sales pitch works the lord softened the hearts of ishmael and his entire family nevertheless trouble quickly ensues and it came to pass that as we journeyed in the wilderness behold laman and lemuel and two of the daughters of ishmael and the two sons of ishmael and their families did rebel against us "'Yea, against me, Nephi, and Sam, and their father Ishmael, and his wife, and his three other daughters. "'And it came to pass, in the which rebellion they were desirous to return unto the land of Jerusalem. "'And now I, Nephi, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, therefore I spake unto them, saying, "'Yea, even unto Laman and unto Lemuel, Behold, ye are mine elder brethren,' And how is it that ye are so hard in your hearts, and so blind in your minds, that ye have need, that I, your younger brother, should speak unto you, yea, and set an example for you? How is it that ye have not hearkened unto the word of the Lord? First Nephi 7, 6-9 Nephi's second question to Laman and Lemuel: How is it that ye have not hearkened unto the word of the Lord? is particularly interesting in the immediate context of the rebellion of Laman and Lemuel and two of the daughters of Ishmael and the two sons of Ishmael and their families against Nephi and Sam and their father Ishmael and his wife and his other three daughters. Laman and Lemuel's refusal to hearken unto the word of the Lord, the very words of the Lord that they had spoken to Ishmael and his family, and to which Ishmael and his family had hearkened with softened heart, had already created a rift in the family, a lasting one, as evident in Second Nephi chapter 5. The key point here is that Nephi has carefully ascribed the division of Lehi's and Ishmael's families to the failure of Laman and Lemuel to hearken. This, in turn, leads members of Ishmael's own family similarly to fail to hearken unto the word of the Lord. In fact, Laman and Lemuel caused members of Ishmael's family to not hearken unto the very words of the Lord the brothers, including Laman and Lemuel themselves, had spoken unto Ishmael and his household see first nephi chapter 7 verses 4 5 and 9 importantly it is members of ishmael's family including one of the daughters of ishmael and one of the previously rebellious sons of ishmael that saved nephi's life and it came to pass that they were angry with me again and sought to lay hands upon me but behold one of the daughters of ishmael yea and also her mother and one of the sons of ishmael did plead with my brethren Insomuch that they did soften their hearts, and they did cease striving to take away my life, first Nephi seven nineteen we can probably surmise that the daughter of Ishmael, who intercedes and pleads on Nephi's behalf, is the same daughter of Ishmael that he mentions marrying in first Nephi sixteen seven Nephi records that she did this on at least one other occasion as well. See first Nephi chapter eighteen, verses seventeen and nineteen. In any case, it is scarcely possible that Nephi would have married anyone from Ishmael's family who sympathized with his brothers and their murderous hostility toward him, or had failed to speak up on his behalf. It is important, too, that Ishmael and his wife, and the mother of Nephi's then future wife, according to Nephi's own words, had supported Nephi. See again First Nephi 7, verses 6 and 19. Nephi's posterity thus were also Ishmael's posterity. His own children would have been in a very real sense sons of Ishmael and daughters of Ishmael. Thus the brethren to whom Nephi addresses his words in 1 Nephi 15 and again in 1 Nephi 16, 2-4 certainly include Laman and Lemuel but also would have included the sons of Ishmael. Nephi, writing this account about 40 years after the fact, mentions the marriages of Lehi's family and Zoram with Ishmael's daughters. Nephi's following statement then was directed to and meant to be apprehended by the sons of Ishmael as well. And now, my brethren, if ye were righteous and were willing to hearken to the truth and give heed unto it, that ye might walk uprightly before God, then ye would not murmur because of the truth, and say, Thou speakest hard things against us. See First Nephi 16.3 Laman and Lemuel were only occasionally willing to hearken to the truth. The sons of Ishmael, who were initially willing to hearken to Lehi's sons and accompany their father Ishmael and other kin into the wilderness to join Lehi's party, were becoming increasingly hardened by Laman and Lemuel's antics. First Nephi chapters 16-18 through 18 detail their increasing hardness of heart on the journey from Nahum to Bountiful in the land of Bountiful and during the voyage from Bountiful to the Promised Land. As we shall see, the verb Shema surfaces at a key moment within this material. Because we would hearken. Much of the murmuring in the chapters that describe the Lehite and Ishmaelite clan through the wilderness revolves not only around Laman and Lemuel, but also Ishmael's family. The word hearken... Hebrew Shema, is a key term in the brother's accusation against Lehi and Nephi, and in Nephi's subsequent response. And we know that the people who were in the land of Jerusalem were a righteous people, for they keep the statutes and the judgments of the Lord, and all his commandments according to the law of Moses. Wherefore, we know that they are a righteous people, and our Father hath judged them, and hath led us away, because we would hearken unto his word, yea, and our brother is like unto him. And after this manner of language did my brethren murmur and complain against us. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, spake unto them, saying, Do ye believe that our fathers, who were the children of Israel, would have been led away out of the hands of the Egyptians if they had not hearkened unto the words of the Lord? First Nephi seventeen, twenty-two, and 23. The statement attributed to the brothers that they had been led on the wilderness journey because we would hearken— i.e., because we were willing to hearken, was so ironic as to be laughable in the context of everything that had transpired to this point on that journey. That irony was by no means lost on Nephi, who included the statement for the benefit of his readers. Nephi's rejoinder to this statement notably addresses their asserted willingness to hearken. Nephi, in effect, likens them to the children of Israel when he asks, do ye believe that our fathers would have been led away out of the hands of the Egyptians if they had not hearkened? First Nephi 17, verse 23. The Israelites as a nation ultimately made it to their promised land, just as Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael would to theirs, at least in temporal terms. But they murmured and complained against Nephi, just as the Israelites did against Moses, and would suffer a similar spiritual fate to the Israelites who died in the wilderness. They would not enter into the Lord's rest. See Psalm ninety-five, eleven. This scene, perhaps more than any other, anticipates the weight of Lehi's conditional first blessing predicated on hearkening. Nephi, like his father Lehi, knew that Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael were capable of hearkening. The real issue was willingness. In fact, toward the end of his exchange, Nephi makes the point that they did hear the Lord's voice from time to time. Ye are swift to do iniquity, but slow to remember the Lord your God. Ye have seen an angel, and he spake unto you, yea, ye have heard his voice from time to time, and he hath spoken unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling, that ye could not feel his words. Wherefore he has spoken unto you like the voice of thunder, which did cause the earth to shake as if it were to divide asunder. 1 Nephi 17, verse 45 Their having physically heard the Lord's voice made their continued obduracy utterly inexcusable. Nephi here, however, distinguishes another level of hearing. When the Lord spoke in a still small voice, his words had to be felt. Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael had become so obdurate that they could hear the Lord's voice in terms of feeling the words of the Holy Ghost. This already effectively cut them off from the presence of the Lord, as had been foretold to Nephi in first Nephi two twenty one, and as Lehi would again forewarn in second Nephi one verse twenty and chapter four verse four. Hearken unto me, O Jacob Nephi's rhetorical use of Isaiah 48 and 49. When Nephi states regarding the general human tendency toward hard heartedness that they set the Holy One of Israel at naught and hearken not to the voice of his counsels, in 1 Nephi 19, verse 7, it is difficult not to hear at least a partial allusion to his brothers and the sons of Ishmael. Nephi goes on in the subsequent verses to describe, yet again, the fulfillment of the Lord's promise that he would be a teacher and a ruler over them see First Nephi 2.22, when he states, quote, I, Nephi, did teach my brethren these things, end quote, from First 1 Nephi 19.22. He taught them from the scriptures, making particular use of the words of Isaiah, that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer, I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah, 1 Nephi 19.23. In invoking Isaiah at length for the first time, at least in so far as he informs us, Nephi introduces Isaiah's prophecies with the emphatic proclamation formula Hear or hearken. Wherefore I spake unto them, my brethren, saying, Hear ye the words of the prophet, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel, a branch who have been broken off. Hear ye the words of the prophet, which were written unto all the house of Israel, and liken them unto yourselves that ye may have hope as well as your brethren from whom ye have been broken off. For after this manner has the prophet written, Hearken and hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel. Yet they swear not in truth nor in righteousness. 1 Nephi 19, verse 24, through chapter 20, verse 1. Israel and Judah, each in turn, had been conquered and exiled by foreign superpowers because they would not hear the messages of repentance the Lord had sent them through prophets. Likewise, Nephi's introduction and citation of Isaiah here emphasize what Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael have consistently failed to do, to hear. Even to hear or see events transpire within the physical realm does not necessarily mean that one will hear or see the meaning, especially the spiritual meaning, in those events. We recall that Laman and Lemuel had experienced great things, miracles even. In the course of the Lord saving them from the impending destruction of Jerusalem and preserving their lives en route to a new land of promise, they saw an angel and heard the voice of the Lord speak to them. Thus, it is interesting to consider the potential application or likening of what follows, in Nephi's quotation of Isaiah 48, to the family circumstances, including those of Laman and Lemuel and Ishmael's family. Thou hast seen and heard all this, or you have heard, now see all this. And will ye not declare them? And that I have showed, or caused thee to hear, the new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. They are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them, they were declared unto thee, lest thou shouldst say, Behold, I knew them. Yea, and thou heardest not. Yea, thou knewest not; yea, from that time thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously, and wast called a transgressor from the womb. First Nephi twenty six through eight. Nephi's citation of this particular Isaiah text becomes particularly apropos in the text of the events that led up to Nephi's statement in First Nephi seventeen forty five. Ye have seen an angel, and he spake unto you, yea, ye have heard his voice from time to time, and he hath spoken unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling, that ye could not feel his words. Wherefore he has spoken unto you like unto the voice of thunder. Thus Nephi uses Isaiah to summon his brothers, including the sons of Ishmael, to hearken. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, for I am he, I am the first and I am also the last. Mine hand hath also laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. I call unto them, and they stand up together. All ye assemble yourselves and hear, who among them hath declared these things unto them. The Lord hath loved him, yea, and he will fulfill his word, which he hath declared by them, and he will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall come upon the Chaldeans. First Nephi 20, verses 12-14. through O that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. 1 Nephi 20, verse 18. Whether he has taken it from the brass plates version of Isaiah, or has interjected it himself, Nephi introduces his recitation of Isaiah 49 in similar fashion to his introduction of Isaiah 48, using the prophetic proclamation formula, hearken. And again, hearken, O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and are driven out because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people, O house of Israel. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. First Nephi twenty-one one. Nephi's reading in the voice of Isaiah helps him to find and establish his own prophetic voice. He thus speaks to his brothers and brothers-in-law and their families with authority of the Lord's servant, as well as that of their teacher and their ruler, as noted above. See First Nephi 21.3, citing Isaiah 49.3. Although the broader themes of the scattering and gathering of Israel furnish the superstructure of Nephi's message in 1 Nephi chapters 20 and 21, his more immediate message to his brothers and their descendants remains a simple one. Hear, hearken, or listen, Shema, and hearken, or attend, Ikshib. The phonetic components of the name Ishmael would have been particularly heard in the twofold use of the formula Shema Eli, or Shimu Eli, meaning hearken unto me or listen ye unto me. All of this sets the stage for Lehi's Deuteronomy based final admonitions to his children and the children of Ishmael, on obedience to which his final blessings will be predicated, even unto his commanding that ye must obey Second Nephi one twenty seven. Just ahead of his pronouncing his conditional blessing upon his older sons and the sons of Ishmael, Lehi cites an instance of their obeying Nephi when he spoke under the constraint of the Spirit. And it must needs be that the power of God must be with him, even unto his commanding you that ye must obey. Behold, it was not he, but it was the Spirit of the Lord which was in him, which opened his mouth to utterance that he could not shut it. 2 Nephi 1, verse 27. The word rendered obey here ultimately represents the spoken Hebrew word shema, meaning to hear, which includes the idea to obey. It is worth noting that our English word obey ultimately derives from a Latin word, which means to hear or obey. Thus, obedience means to be in a state of hearing or hearkening. Lehi uses this example of almost forced obedience, hearing or hearkening, to Nephi and the blessings that it brought the family, to preface the bestowal of his conditional first blessing, which Lehi bestows on Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and the sons of Ishmael. Lehi will predicate this blessing on hearkening to, or obeying, Nephi's spiritual leadership, which, of course, becomes an issue of political leadership. If ye will hearken, but if ye will not hearken. Lehi's Conditional First Blessing in 2 Nephi 1.28-29 Today, as anciently, an Israelite's most important responsibility is to hear, as the so-called Shema prefaced and included what Jesus called the first great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6. Four and five, as Jesus Himself formulated it, "If ye love me, keep my commandments," John fourteen fifteen. Deuteronomy four nineteen and twenty suggests that teaching one's children in this regard, parental paronesis, constituted one of the most important of duties. Second Nephi one one through four twelve is mainly parenetic in character. Lehi speaks to his sons and unto all his household according to the feelings of his heart and the spirit of the Lord which was in him. See 2 Nephi 4.12. At the conclusion of the first part of his final blessings and admonitions in 2 Nephi chapter 1, Lehi speaks to all his sons who are older than Nephi, Laman, Lemuel, and Sam, and to the sons of Ishmael. Here he bestows a conditional first blessing predicated on their willingness to hear or hearken unto Nephi. That is, follow his spiritual guidance and leadership. And now my son Laman, and also Lemuel and Sam, and also my sons who are the sons of Ishmael. Behold, if ye will hearken unto the voice of Nephi, ye shall not perish. And if ye will hearken unto him, I will leave unto you a blessing, yea, even my first blessing. But if ye will not hearken unto him, I take away my first blessing, yea, even my blessing, and it shall rest upon him. Second Nephi 1. Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Lehi's admonition and blessing, as it appears in Nephi's text, closely juxtaposes the name Ishmael with a threefold repetition of the verb shama. If we include obey from Second Nephi one twenty-seven, the repetition is fourfold. The polyptotonic repetition of Shema around the name Ishmael would have had the immediate rhetorical effect of garnering the attention of Ishmael's sons, and probably any of his daughters who were present on the occasion. The imminence and urgency of their decision to hearken is accentuated by the repetition of the root Shema in its verbal and onomastic forms. Moreover, at this point we are reminded of Abraham's exclamation regarding his son Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee in Genesis seventeen eighteen. Before Abraham fully understood the Lord's promise to him, his prayer was that Ishmael might be his spiritual heir and live before Jahweh, meaning live in his presence. Living in the Lord's presence now and in eternity was the very spiritual birthright that Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael were on the verge of forfeiting. Regarding Lehi's first blessing, Noel B. Reynolds writes, This is a curious blessing. From Laman and Lemuel's perspective, it must have been very frustrating. In order to obtain the first blessing, they had to obey Nephi. On the other hand, if they did not obey Nephi, the father's blessing would go to Nephi. Either way, Nephi wins, although under the first option, Laman might preserve the blessing for his posterity by submitting himself during his lifetime to Nephi. End quote. Lehi's clear implication is that Nephi was his spiritual successor, even if political leadership roles remained for the elder brothers. Beyond the possession of legitimate political authority, which Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael could have retained, Lehi's conditional first blessing seems to be more or less an adumbration of his restatement of the Lord's conditional promise. O my sons, that these things might not come upon you, but that ye might be a choice and a favored people of the Lord. But behold, his will be done, for his ways are righteousness forever. And he hath said that, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. But inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. 2 Nephi one nineteen 19 and 20. And see also 2 Nephi 4, 3 and 4. Much has already been written on the clear parallels that Nephi draws between the Exodus and Israel's journey through the wilderness toward the promised land and the journey of the Lehites and Ishmaelites through the Arabian wilderness toward their promised land. Nephi unquestionably wishes his audience to see Laman and Lemuel's hardened hearts and relentless murmuring against Lehi and Nephi in terms of Israel's conduct toward Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Accordingly, Lehi's conditional first blessing carries firm echoes of the language of Psalm 95, 7-11. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. This psalm alludes back to the story of Israel in the wilderness. Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, recalls not only the account of Israel's lack of faith to go up to the land in Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, and Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 22 through 40, but also in view of Doctrine and Covenants, 84, verses 23 and 24. Israel's refusal to endure Yahweh's presence. See Exodus 19:3 through chapter 20:19 and compare and contrast Deuteronomy 5:23 through 33 and Deuteronomy 18:15 and 19. Yahweh's covenant with and blessing upon Israel was predicated on hearing. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. Exodus 19.5 However, Israel refuses to hear or see Javeth. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Exodus 20.19 See also Deuteronomy 18.15-19 Israel's subsequent story, as found in the books of Joshua through Second Kings, is one of failure to hear or obey, and thus one of failure to receive the conditionally predicated blessings. See also Doctrine and Covenants 82.10 and section 130 verses 20 and 21. The story of Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael represents a similar story. Wherefore they did hearken unto my words. Nephi details the final fracturing and division of the Lehite-Ishmaelite clan in 2 Nephi chapter 5. Importantly, Nephi distinguishes those who followed him from those who did not follow him, first with the term believe, perhaps as an ironic play on the name Laman, and then secondly with the term "hearken," perhaps as a play on the name Ishmael. Wherefore it came to pass that I, Nephi, did take my family, and also Zoram and his family, and Sam, mine elder brother, and his family, and Jacob and Joseph, my younger brethren, and also my sisters, and all those who would go with me. And all those who would go with me were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of God, wherefore they did hearken unto my words. 2 Nephi 5, verse 6. At least some of Ishmael's posterity hearkened unto Nephi's words. In so doing, they became joint heirs with Nephi to Lehi's first blessing. They would have access to the presence of the Lord in terms of having the gift and power of the Holy Ghost, but also access to the ritual presence of the Lord in the temple that Nephi would have his people build. See chapter 5, verse 16. They would have access to the writings on the brass plates. In short, they would be able to enter into the Lord's rest because they were willing to hear or hearken in the psalmist's words today. Thus, immediately, the great plan of redemption could be brought about or activated for them. See Alma 34, 31, and 34, 16. Inasmuch as they will not hearken. It is also clear that Ishmael's sons and some of his daughters and other members of his family did not hearken unto Nephi's words. Nephi states the consequences of this failure to hearken, again playing on the name Ishmael wherefore the word of the lord was fulfilled which he spake unto me saying that inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words they shall be cut off from the presence of the lord and behold they were cut off from his presence 2 nephi chapter 5 verse 20 nephi's declaration of the fulfillment of the lord's words to him in 2 nephi 5:20 has at least a twofold reference first it recalls the lord's earlier promise to nephi And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Um, From 1st Nephi chapter 2, verse 21. That promise came much earlier in Nephi's life, after, as he tells us, Laman and Lemuel would not hearken unto my words, and being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, I cried unto the Lord for them. 1st Nephi 2, 18. Laman and Lemuel's unbelief and unwillingness to hearken had now taken many members of Ishmael's family away with them. Secondly, however, the phrase, inasmuch as they will not hearken, more immediately recalls Lehi's words in 2 Nephi 1, and 29, and the conditional first blessing, and marks the fulfillment of the negative promise, but if he will not hearken unto him, I take away my first blessing, yea, even my blessing, and it shall rest upon him second nephi one twenty nine the first blessing now rested upon Nephi, and they would not enter into the Lord's rest from psalm ninety five eleven but would be cut off from his presence until such a day as they would be willing to hear or hearken, as in psalm ninety five seven wilt thou hearken? Apart from Nephi's writings, the strongest concentration of narrative mentions of the name Ishmael and Ishmaelites is in Mormon's abridged Lamanite conversion narrative. There is a significant narratological focus on hearing and hearkening to Nephite spiritual guidance. From the outset of this narrative, Mormon emphasizes the connection between Lamoni and the Lamanite royal family and the Ishmaelites, and thus Ammon was carried before the king who was over the land of Ishmael, and his name was Lamoni and he was a descendant of Ishmael, Alma seventeen twenty one, Ishmael and the Ishmaelites are not mentioned in such a prominent way in Mormon's narrative heretofore. The narrative places dramatic emphasis on Lamoni's reaction as he hears of Ammon's exploits, see Alma 18. More to the point, however, Mormon's account of Lamoni's hearkening to Ammon's words demands consideration in light of the refusal of Laman and Lemuel and sons of Ishmael in times past to hear and hearken. Lamoni's hearing and hearkening activates the spiritual blessings promised to Lehi's older sons and the sons of Ishmael in 2 Nephi 1:28 and 29. Ammon Nephi's descendant through the Nephite royal line, in a real sense represents his ancestor Nephi at this moment in Nephite-Lamanite history, a moment which recreates earlier moments when Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael had the choice to hearken unto Nephi or to not hearken. The willingness of Lamoni, the Ishmaelite king in the land of Ishmael, to hearken opens the way for him to be taught the gospel and concerning the rebellions of his ancestors, especially the sons of Ishmael. Now Ammon being wise, yet harmless, he said unto Lamoni, Wilt thou hearken unto my words, if I tell thee by what power I do these things? And this is the thing that I desire of thee. And the king answered him, and said, Yea, I will believe all thy words. Alma eighteen twenty two and twenty three. And he also rehearsed unto them concerning the rebellions of Laman and Lamuel, and the sons of Ishmael. Yea, all the rebellions did he relate unto them. And he expounded unto them all the records and scriptures from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem down to the present time. But this is not all, for he expounded unto them the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world. And he also made known unto them concerning the coming of Christ, and all the works of the Lord did he make known unto them. And it came to pass that after he had said all these things and expounded them to the king, that the king believed all his words. Alma 18 38-40. 38-40. Lamoni's willingness to hearken and believe opens the way for many other Ishmaelite Lamanites in the land of Ishmael to hearken and believe. Mormon then states that the queen had heard of the fame of Ammon, therefore she sent and desired that he should come in unto her. Alma nineteen two. The ensuing scene replicates much of what had just happened between Ammon and King Lamoni. The queen and many others in the royal court also participate in an ecstatic vision. When misunderstanding and contention arise concerning the meaning of these events, Abish, the queen's providentially already converted maidservant, acts to ensure that these events do not culminate in disaster. After Lamoni and his wife are raised from their visions, Mormon records the willingness of many of Lamoni's Ishmaelitish people to hear or hearken, and he immediately seeing the contention among his people, went forth and began to rebuke them, and to teach them the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon. And as many as heard his words believed, and were converted unto the Lord. But there were many among them who would not hear his words, therefore they went their way. Alma nineteen, thirty-one and 32. Brant Gardner suggests that the text here refers to an Ishmaelite elite of a rival lineage, representatives of whom were present, who made these events part of their political resistance. If these observations are correct, Lamoni's teaching, the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon, and the many among them who would not hear his words, take on additional significance in light of Lehi's declaration to Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and the sons of Ishmael, regarding the importance of hearing. Thus we see Mormon further recreating the moment of decision from centuries earlier, to hearken to or hear Nephi, now to hear Ammon, and to receive Lehi's first blessing, or to not hearken to or hear, and to remain in darkness, cut off from the Lord's presence. They would not hearken. Mormon further contrasts the initial receptivity of the Ishmaelite Lamanites vis-à-vis the Lamanites in Midoni, and some other places, although many Lamanites at Midoni later converted, Um, See Alma twenty three ten. Ammon's brothers did not fare as well in Midoni as he did in the land of Ishmael. And as it happened, it was their lot to have fallen into the hands of a more hardened and a more stiff necked people. Therefore they would not hearken unto their words. And they had cast them out, and had smitten them, and had driven them from house to house, and from place to place, even until they had arrived in the land of Midoni. And there they were cast and taken into prison, and bound with strong cords, and kept in prison for many days, and were delivered by Lamoni and Ammon. Alma 20, verse 30. Many of the Lamanites in Madoni became more receptive to the gospel as time went on, especially after the conversion of Lamoni's father, the king of all the Lamanites. They too became spiritual heirs to the blessings that Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael had denied their posterity. Aaron, Ammon's brother, experienced similar hardness of heart among the Amalekites and Amalekites in the city of Jerusalem in the land which was called by the Lamanites Jerusalem, calling it after the land of their father's nativity. Alma 21, verses 1 and 4. The Amalekites and Amalekites, of course, had rejected the traditional Nephite faith and religion in favor of the order of the Nehors. By politically aligning themselves with the Lamanites, just as the sons of Ishmael had aligned themselves with Laman and Lemuel many years earlier, and by rejecting the faith, they had disinherited themselves from the spiritual blessings attached to Lehi's first blessing. And it came to pass, as he began to expound these things unto them, they were angry with him, and began to mock him, and they would not hear the words which he spake. Therefore, when he saw that they would not hear his words, he departed out of their synagogue and came over to a village which was called Anianti. And there he found Mulekai, preaching the word unto them and also Alma and his brethren and they contended with many about the word and it came to pass that they saw that the people would harden their hearts therefore they departed and came over into the land of madonai and they did preach the word unto many and few believed on the words which they taught Alma 21 verses 10 through 12 on one level Mormon's twofold statement regarding the Amalekites and Amalekites, that they would not hear Aaron's words, further emphasizes the hardness of those to whom he preached. By the words, they would not hear, we are to understand they did not want to hear. There is an allusion to Lehi's report of his dream and Laman and Lemuel's refusal to come and partake of the tree of life. And it came to pass that I saw them, but they would not come unto me and partake of the fruit. 1 Nephi 8, verse 18. As Jennifer C. Lane has noted, Lehi was stating, they did not want to come. On another level, we should view Mormon's remarks here against the backdrop of Lehi's conditional blessing in 2 Nephi 1, verses 28 and 29, especially in consideration of the conversions that have already taken place among the Ishmaelite Lamanites previously. To the degree that Lamanites of Madonai and Anianti, to whom Aaron, Amma, and Mulekai preached, would not hear, they remained subjected to the negative promises of Lehi's blessing. Mormon's statement, few believed, highlights the persistent unbelief that Ammon and the sons of Mosiah, as well as those who accompanied them, encountered in their missionary work. Fortunately, this is not the end of the story. Ishmaelite hearkening The story was clearly different among the Lamanites in the land of Ishmael, who, Mormon emphasizes, were descendants of Ishmael. But he, Lamoni, caused that there should be synagogues built in the land of Ishmael, and he caused that his people, or the people who were under his reign, should assemble themselves together. And he did rejoice over them, and he did teach them many things. And he did also declare unto them that they were a people who were under him, and that they were a free people, and that they were free from the oppressions of the king his father, for that his father had granted unto him that he might reign over the people who were in the land of Ishmael and in all the land round about. Alma 21, verses 20 and 21. In other words, these Ishmaelite Lamanites were the first to hear and the easiest to be entreated with the message of the gospel. Mormon mentions the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Ishmael in Alma twenty-three nine at the top entry in his Catalog of Lamanite Conversions. From Alma twenty-three eight through verse fifteen, they were blessed accordingly. See Second Nephi one twenty-eight. When the unconverted Lamanites became an existential threat to the converted Lamanites, a council was held in the land of Ishmael. Uh, see Alma twenty-four five. When many of the previously hardened Lamanites joined the converted Lamanites, many of them came over to dwell in the land of Ishmael and the land of Nephi, and to join themselves to the people of God. See Alma 25.13. The name Ishmael in these chapters, from Alma 17 to chapter 25, becomes a fitting symbol of the people's willingness to hearken to the Lord and his messengers, and the Lord in turn heard or hearkened to them. Conclusion and Pragmatics Nephi's writings contain two final statements that invoke the theme of hearkening and obedience, or Hebrew shema. Nephi concludes his first book thus, Wherefore, my brethren, I would that ye should consider that the things which have been written upon the plates of brass are true, and they testify that a man must be obedient to the commandments of God. Wherefore, ye need not suppose that I and my Father are the only ones that have testified and also taught them. Wherefore, if ye shall be obedient to the commandments and endure to the end, ye shall be saved at the last day. And thus it is. Amen first nephi twenty two thirty and thirty one This conclusion sets the topical framework for Lehi's final pernesis to his sons in second Nephi chapters one through four and its aftermath in chapter five, including Lehi's conditional blessing upon Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael in second Nephi one twenty eight and twenty nine if ye he will hearken or but if ye will not hearken in conjunction with an inclusio that brackets all of his writings and plays on his own name. Nephi also closes the body of his writings that he made to be obedient to the commandments of the Lord with statements that emphasize the importance of obeying or hearkening. And now, my beloved brethren, and also Jew, and all ye ends of the earth, hearken unto these words and believe in Christ. And if ye believe not in these words, believe in Christ." And if ye shall believe in Christ, ye will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ, and he hath given them unto me. And they teach all men that they should do good. The last thing that Nephi ever says in writing emphasizes a willingness to hear that has ever characterized his mortal life and that will forever define him. For what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar, for thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. Amen second nephi thirty three fifteen Nephi knew, as did his father Lehi, the necessity of hearkening in order to activate the blessings of the doctrine of Christ and the plan of salvation today, if ye will hear his voice psalm ninety five seven to delay hearkening was to remain cut off from the presence of the Lord and to fail to enter the Lord's rest, as in psalm ninety five verse eleven, perhaps eternally. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an assistant professor in religious education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blatberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of If Ye Will Hearken, Lehi's Rhetorical Wordplay on Ishmael in 2 Nephi 1, 28 and 29, and its implications, by Matthew L. Bowen. Originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 25, 2017, pages 1 through 32. Read by Parker Jackson. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon Scripture can be found at Mormoninterpreter.com.